0: Log Talk Radio.
1: This land is mine. God gave this land to me. This brave
0: and ancient land.
2: Yada ya. We're here with both uh, Kirk and, uh, and JB, and we're going to start a, a new chapter of, uh, of Yadayawa in the Moed-Mikre volume. Uh, we're sorry, in the Moed-Mikre. It's uh, Kaporum. This will be the second comporum chapter. But a uh, just an update. Um, I was able, with uh, Jackie's help and then with David's to post it, to get a new version of Written in Stone uh, up. It is uh, now posted on the com site. And then in addition to that, we finally were able to publish the first volume of the rewrite of An Introduction to God. There will be ultimately three volumes to An Introduction to God of about halfway through Volume 2 and the rewrite. But Volume 1 is a it is a very interesting rewrite in that, uh, for the most part, an introduction to God. It was designed to be a little dry. It's uh, it's not designed to um, be inspiring, but instead to be educational, providing the tools uh, that somebody could use to know well what's the condition of the manuscripts, uh, what's the history of of, uh, of these various manuscripts, and how do they differ from our English translations, and what is a stem? What's a conjugation? Uh, what is a mood? How do these things go together? How do we go about translating these uh, these words? Uh, and well, I think that the first chapter is reasonably good. It's a nice introduction to the material. The second is very very dense um, uh, because it throws out lots of grammar, but it's really helpful. I mean, if you're going to verify. Uh, the mm-hmm. testimony and yada yada. It's really helpful to have that. Uh, the third and fourth chapter, however, are completely new, um, unlike anything that I've written before, anything that we'd find in any one of our books. Uh, it, we were talking about it in the chap room with uh, with Steve, uh, and it is a. Um, uh, it's entitled. Uh, well, the byline is Why You, Why Me? Uh, is the introductory of those two chapters in chapter three and then uh it uh the last witness is uh chapter four and what it in essence does is it it goes through the history of uh of yahweh's prophetic announcements as it relates to the mission of yada yahweh um, you know it begins with the 91st psalm because that's where it all began and goes through it, and uh, it's a new translation of it, and the commentary is fresh. Um, uh, and then runs through what was the most important prophecy to me, which is 2 Samuel 7. I've shared that on this program many times. Um, every time I translate it, though I think the translation gets uh, more insightful, uh, and that chapter is no exception. Uh, and it's a nice commentary, too, on... Um, on Second Samuel seven, uh, it goes from there to Solomon's um, Sermon on the Mount uh, and his introduction of the Nakri, and from there we jump into uh, the presentation of the chodor and and the whole concept behind Yashaya introducing that in the eleventh chapter. Uh, but it doesn't end there. It uh, that's Really, what I would say is a very good beginning of why you, why me, um, and then it takes the last, I think, ten chapters of Isaiah, which are all new translations, and uh, goes through the various Zoroa and the roles they play in awakening uh, was people. Uh, the why you section of it, which is where it begins, is also unique. Um, We've talked about this before, but uh, it appears that no one comes to Yahweh uh, on their own volition. Our response is up to us, but uh, it appears that at least all the examples that he gives us, that Yahweh reaches out to those people that he's interested in knowing. And once he reaches out free will takes place and we can choose to uh, engage with him or not so we don't know how that introduction might occur could her, that you hear something on the radio uh was your case uh kirk um mm-hmm. yeah. it uh, could be that uh, you read something um could be a friend talking mm-hmm. to you um whatever it may be um yahweh well, introduces himself and some people respond, others uh, do not. But um, that's an, an interesting part of, uh, of that material. Anyway, the the website, yada, uh is now uh, featuring the Introduction to God, Volume 1, and the rewritten version of Written in Stone. And there's a companion piece to the website that, that David has created, and David's responsible for this new website. It's really beautiful. Um, but if you go to David's own site... Uh, and it's uh, if you go into the uh, community uh, you'll see a site that that actually presents all of the passages that are translated in uh, yada, yada. and he has electronically done this so if, for example if you were interested in reading habachuk every passage that i've translated in habachuk is there in the chronological order every one that translated in yermiya or Zachariah, or Yasha uh, any passage in the Torah, uh, you know, Barashith, um, or uh, the Barim. It's a really nice feature up in the right hand upper right hand corner of his site that uh, uh, you can read. And it also has an excellent search engine uh, built into it for uh, any topic that uh, you might be searching for. So, who does we've done a really good job, I think, of of, um, of presenting the material online. Um, also. We talked about it last week, but there are now are. Uh, Jackie's done a spectacular job. There's now a hardback version, seven by ten inch, beautiful hardbacks of each of our books, in addition to the six by nine paperbacks. I think the paperbacks are more comfortable and easier to uh, to read, uh, but boy, the the hardbacks are uh, are gorgeous. They are. Uh, uh, fitting the, uh, the message that uh, Yahweh has conveyed to us inside. So thank you, Jackie. Jackie's uh, warning is, though, that if you wanted to order the most recent, which is Volume 1 of uh, An Introduction to God, it's called uh, Dabatim Words. Uh, she'd prefer that you wait a, a couple of days, uh, maybe to the first day of the week prior to doing it. She's been doing some... Um, adjusting of things like uh, spine position, and we found a few uh, typos even after we had um, done all of our editing. Mm-hmm. All right, so we're going to begin now. Uh, Kapodim, um Reconciliations. It's uh, chapter two. It's a prophetic portrait. It's the most interesting prophetic portrait uh, I think there is. Um, At it's, least it's the one that's the most emotionally charged. Um, there are a lot of prophetic portraits that present uh, all the bad stuff that man uh, is going to do, and, and this is no exception. It uh, it takes the rabbis uh, on and chews them up and spits them out. But for the most part, Zachariah is a celebration of Yom Kippurim from Yahweh's perspective, and and the the overall feel that I get, and I've now spent the last four, five, six months of my life in, uh, in the Moed Mikrei, uh, is that the single most important day each year and throughout history for you and me, for us, is not Kippurim. <clears throat> it is Matzah. And the single most important day for Yahweh, the day that he is most excited about, in the history of the universe mm-hmm. is the fulfillment of Kapuram. Sure. So it's, it's a little different uh, perspective. From our perspective, God throws every adjective that is at his disposal and the language that he created to tell us that Chagmatzah, it is a stem, essential. It is Kodesh, set apart. It is presented in the context of a Shabbaton, in the full expression of everything the Shabbat represents. It is a Moed. It is a Mikra. Uh, it is every positive thing that God can call a day. And what's so sad about that? And uh, it's a, I think it's a beautiful piece on this now in the chapter that I just, a uh, chapter I guess I'm still working on here. It's uh, grown to about 90 pages as some things happen to do from time to time. But um, God very clearly presents matzah as the remedy for religion and politics, particularly religion. And What he says is, I don't want you to forget this day. This day is essential for you. So recognize that it was on this day that I removed you from the crucibles of religious and political persecution and and oppression. So don't eat yeast on the day that I removed you from yeast is the pretty clear. <laughs> yeah, Yahweh's perspective, and it's pretty hard to to miss it. And so it it is the most important day for us. And what's really sad from that point of view is that Yahweh paid the greatest price of all for matzah. Um, Pesach was a hellish price, to be sure. Well, Pesach was a painful price. Uh, matzah was a hellish price. And yet, if you look at rabbinic Judaism, these poops. I hope that's not a strike and we strike out again by calling rabbinic Judaism a religion of nincompoops but god says it so if uh, that's my alibi they have turned matzah into nothing more than an ingredient they celebrate passover as a historic event not as the doorway to life and then rather than celebrate Matza. They eliminate matza from their diet for the week, but there is no celebration of a chag matza, and and even the removal of yeast is just covered with religious uh, edicts, as if they didn't even bother to read what Yahweh had to say, but. The reason that uh, Kaporim, the Day of Reconciliations, is so important to Yahweh is he gets to be dad again. It's been a very long time. Um, Zechariah was written around 520 BCE. Uh, Malachi probably written around four fifty four sixty 460 BCE. Since that time, there's not been a prophet. It's been a long time since uh, Yahweh had an opportunity to be father over the covenant. And the Day of Reconciliations resolves that. And so God is ecstatic about it, and that's the reason why the, I think the entire prophetic presentation in Zachariah is about the days leading up to it, the reasons behind it, how it's going to be fulfilled, and Yahweh's excitement over it. So the fulfillment of the Day of Reconciliations will bring a mixed reaction and a decidedly different result depending on an individual's disposition toward Yahweh, his Torah, his Mechre, and his spirit. Uh, Zachariah, known as Zachariah, was shown a vision that would transpire before, during, and after Yom Kippuram in year 6000 Uh, Yah. Year 6000 Yah will take place and 2033, that's how much time we have left. The prophet's revelation was recorded in, as I said, 520 BCE. And we know this because, as the, is the case with everything Yahweh wrote, it's uh, recorded um, and set in history. It begins the eighth month of Darius the Persian Babylonian king who reigned from 522 to 486 BCE. The word of Yahweh came to exist with Zechariah, son of Berechah, which uh, means child blessed by Yah, the son of Edo, which means child advancing the testimony, the prophet Hanabi, to say, Zachariah uh, one one, Kirk. I know that you're uh, feeling under the weather. The uh, the booster for uh, for COVID uh, nineteen uh, gave you a uh, run for your money. Uh, Leah and I yes, both sure. uh, got ours. Uh, it uh, it um, had an effect on uh, Leah. I had a sore arm for about uh, two hours, but that was about the extent of my reaction to it.
0: Um, mm-hmm.
2: Good news is, I think uh, the uh, the numbers say that you're about nine times. Uh, better prepared sure. to fend off mm-hmm. yeah, COVID nineteen with it than mm-hmm. uh, without it. So the uh, it's mm-hmm. uh, uh, the first thing that I thought was interesting here is that this was written in uh, 486 BCE, uh, should be 520 BCE, and yet phonetically Darius's name, and we've known Darius's name because of uh, of Alexander the Great's uh, interactions. Uh, with, uh, a, uh I guess, not the same Darius, but the a grandson or son. Uh, mm-hmm. uh But the name is phonetically pronounced. It's D-A-R-Y-A-W-E-S-H, Dariush. And so it tells you that Hebrew was a phonetic language and recorded the sound of the name... um long before we would have otherwise known how to pronounce it yeah and it also and tells you it. that you know if you can pronounce darius then you should be able to pronounce yahweh because it's written with the same 22 letters that that name and so many other names are written and so as the word which was written down for our benefit came to exist with zachariah zachariah is from Zakar, which means to recall, to remember. It's a pretty good name for a prophet, I think. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. son of Barak. Ya, Barak is a, uh, is to bless. Um, I I, be, I like to talk about it from its verbal root too, because Barak is based on uh, on. Uh, verb that is written identically that speaks of getting down on one's knees to lift someone up. So it's a Barak is the image of a parent kneeling down to lift up a child. Maraca. uh Ben son of Edo uh, child advancing testimony. Uh Did you look up any of those names or our words in the opening statement?
1: Yeah, I actually looked up all three and in, in. Kind of ask myself, well, what, what specifically are we to remember uh, when you call somebody that? And obviously, is uh, the biggest emphasis is on Kippurum, uh mm-hmm. on what he's done, what we're going to now, and and how our reconciliation depends on this event or theirs, and more so than ours, well, prematurely. And then Barack uh, is interesting because um, Yahweh, Yahweh blesses, or you're blessed by Yahweh, and I looked at the letters and. Uh, I asked myself, well, how does Yahweh bless us? And that's um, changing our perspective. If you look at the letters, I went from that view uh, by changing our perspective to the path that leads to the doorway to eternal life. Mm-hmm. And then he has a he has a grandfather, which is Edo, and that was a really interesting little um, jump down down through the uh, lexicons and all. And and we know. Um, on that one, that's a personal perspective, looking just once again at the letters. Uh, personal perspective uh, focused on the door to life and the increase, and I always include now, uh, just to make be very clear that we're talking about the life
0: dimensionally
1: uh, as well as numerically. You may have a large family, but that's not the blessing you're looking for. You're looking for the whole family to be with y'all and to be like y'all. And then Ida, which is the uh, same word. Uh, means, uh, which is interesting because it's a feminine testimony and witness. Well, the dot I I connected was, okay, we're talking about the Ruach Kodesh, or the spirit set apart, or the set apart spirit that helps and guides us to be witnesses, and certainly to uh, Zakiyah. And then uh, there's uh, Ud, which is the uh, verb. And -hmm. that is perspective to be increased by going through the doorway. And in this case, it also means return, go back, repeat, start over, and do it again, which is exactly you know they've walked away, and now Zakiyah like is talking to this generation, not so much his, even though they may have heard it, they didn't respond, obviously, right. or it would have continued on. So um, um, that so right away, every time I look at when I find more than two words, two or two names, I, I go through them just for the simple reason that he's put them there for something beyond just a historical note, you know, to tell us who the people are. Mm -hmm. um, And all of the names mean something. That's the the first Mm -hmm. thing, one of the first things I learned was the names Mm -hmm. mean the character, and they describe that character, that person. Mm -hmm. So he sets the tone, and so
2: anyway. Yeah, and it was important to, uh, to remember Yah, because there'd only be one more prophet. This is the second yep. to last
1: prophet. I didn't think about that, yeah. but yeah, yeah. All, all
2: you've got, all you've got after here is, is messenger, um, mm. Malachi. Uh, one of the things that that is unique about Yahweh's prophets is that Yahweh's prophets don't say much about themselves. I mean, this fellow, Zachariah said, you know, my my name is is uh, Zachariah, and this was my father's name, and this was my father's father's name, so. You know, I, I want you to know that, that you know, I'm a real person. This was uh, uh, who I was born to. But mm-hmm. the crux of that sentence is that the word of Yahweh came to exist with Zachariah. And that's yes, true up. with yeah. all of the prophets. Malachi doesn't speak of himself. He speaks of Yahweh and for <laughs> Yahweh yeah. and with Yahweh. And the same thing is true with the Moshe and the Torah. The same thing is true with Yahshua. That's what is so radically different in the so-called Christian New Testament. There is no Yahweh speaking in first person, and there isn't a single book that speaks for Yahweh. And the entire Torah, (laughs) Prophets, and Psalms, that's all they do. They speak for Yahweh. And when you read a book that doesn't speak for Yahweh, it doesn't belong.
1: (laughs) What's it for? Yeah, For whom?
2: and Yahweh well, typically speaks of, uh, of two things. One of those is that the consequence of his people corrupting his message and misleading uh, his family. And the other is teaching guidance and instruction that will lead us in the proper path so that we get the most out of life. Those are the two things he has to say. So the primary differential, as I say, uh, between a true prophet and the frauds is that with the true prophets, you speak, you see Yahweh consistently, dependably, truthfully, consistently speaking through him. All right, so what's his first statement? It is, again, now we're only in his first sentence and he mentions Yahweh's name again. Yahweh was antagonized by and displeased with off your fathers, because of their discord and their dissension. Zakaria 1-2. There is a propensity in, um, in religious circles to... Mm-hmm. Ask God as man would like to see him. It's been true throughout time when you're dealing with the um, decadence of uh, of Greece and Rome uh, and uh, in most part Egypt and Babylon and Assyria and all of them. Uh, their warlike uh, nature and their, their immorality. You find the gods were the same. Yeah, the gods were. Cavorting around and uh, and and murder was common among the uh, the the gods. All sorts of conspiracy and conniving and the uh, and the like. And uh, and so when you have the real deal, the actual creator of the universe, and he is willing to communicate directly to you, and and you find that he is antagonized. Well, now. He's just not like the gods that man has made because the gods man has made, uh, those gods are, are ecstatic with their religion. This God is disgusted with their religion because he's a real God. But this notion that God is always happy and super loving and open arms, pure and utter rubbish. If you're religious, God is antagonized by what you're doing. He is displeased. He is provoked. He is enraged. He is adverse to you. And all of the archaeological discoveries taking place throughout Israel show a couple of things. Uh, one is that uh, Jews have lived in Israel uh, for a very long time, uh, that uh, even prior to uh, King Do, David, uh, in um, 3000 BCE or 1000 I'm sorry BCE 3000 years ago uh, the second is that everywhere you look there's pagan artifacts and so there's just no hiding from the fact that God's antagonism and animosity is justified
0: mm-hmm. uh,
2: the, at this time in particular um, now, this is almost 500 years after uh, after Dode, which was the best that Jews ever were, the best Israel ever was, already enormous amounts of discord and dissension, altercation. They've fragmented and splintered their relationship. Therefore, say to them, this is Yahweh speaking in first person, that this is what Yahweh, third mention of his name now, of the spiritual mm-hmm. implements, proposes and requests. Return to me. Turn around, change your attitude, your direction, your perspective, regarding me, and come back to me. Call imperative. Call means to genuinely, uh, actually, literally, return. And the imperative means it's your
1: choice. Urgency. Yeah, yeah, right. No,
2: imperative, is mood, is second
1: person, express positive, yeah. yeah, That's
2: right. Yeah, it's your choice, but yeah. that would be uh, a good one. Prophetically declares Yahweh the fourth time, so that when I return, I can restore you at that time. Promises Yahweh of the heavenly envoys. Yahweh, Yahweh, Yahweh. Yahweh, Yahweh, We're at 1-3, and Yahweh has mentioned his name five times. Do you think that maybe knowing Yahweh's name is essential to returning to Yahweh?
1: Yeah, the first thing you do in a relationship, isn't it? how you do Yeah, If you're going to restore the
2: relationship, do you think that yeah. God mentioned his name five times for a reason? Yes, sir. So the single most important aspect of this, this is the word of Yahweh. Yahweh speaking to us in first person. Yahweh wants his people to come home to us. That is really hard for Jew because Jews do not use his name. Boy, you read any rabbinical piece of trash, they are giving lip service to what they call the Torah but citing the Talmud. And some rabbi and God becomes the immortal one, HaShem, G-D, but never Yahweh. And even when they quote something that he said, and that Yahweh's name is in the middle of it, they'll go through gymnastics to avoid writing it or saying it.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: So you can't return to Yahweh if you were a religious Jew. You can't return to Yahweh if you're a Christian. There's no Yahweh in Christianity. God, I was just disgusted. I wanted to puke today. President of the United States, and uh, using American taxpayer dollars and all those fancy cars flying the American flag, pulls into the goddamn Vatican. Right around the obelisk that, you know, erected to worship Egyptian gods and the heart of the most satanic organization in the world today. And he goes and has a long discussion with the Pope, who is the head of the most immoral organization probably in human history, an organization that has abused a million little boys and continues to do so. And won't take responsibility for it. And the Pope himself is a communist. What a, uh, what a disaster. It made me sick to see that. And the Pope's uh, grand advice was twofold. One is keep taking communion. Uh, you might as well <laughs> be, feeding, boy, your, you fighter boy, be yeah. feeding yourself rattlesnake venom. wow that there's only one time you eat uh, unyeasted bread and you do so in avoidance of religion it's on matzah they don't celebrate matzah they've got no business with unyeasted bread and unyeasted bread for any other purpose but to be unreligious is a sacrilege and second God's instructions are, you do not drink blood. You pour it out on the ground, and yet they claim that they turn grape juice into the blood of their Jesus. There was no Jesus. It is all pathetic. And this American president goes in and honors this man. I was revolted. So much for separation of church and state. You know, if he, out of office wants to fly on his own dime into Rome and hail down a taxicab and go there. Shame on him, but that's his choice. But to do so with all of the expense and prestige of the United States, no, that's disgusting. Discord and dissension, to be sure. So, therefore, say to them that this is what Yahweh, of the spiritual implements, proposes and requests, return to me, prophetically declares Yahweh of hosts, so that when I return, I can restore you at that time. So, here we are. I've I've said that the book of Zechariah was written for one express purpose, to present and celebrate, explain... Yom Kippuram, to make Yom Mm -hmm. Kippuram possible. Because if some Jews don't wake up, there is no Yom Kippurim. I mean, right now, uh, the only Jews that would be taking advantage of Yom Kippuram are in the covenant family. And are, 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 Mm -hmm. are part of those that have come via reading and listening to these books and programs. And God deserves better than that. And so God is being explicit here. Return to me so that when I return, I can restore you at that time. Why in the hell is in rabbinic Judaism that Mammonides and now every rabbi after him, are they expecting some unnamed Messiah to return when Yahweh says, I'm returning? Why would they eliminate his name when Yahweh uses it five times in the opening statement and says, I, Yahweh, am returning. How can you have a religion that walks away from him and gives him lip service when he says, you need to return to me so I can restore you? If they weren't corrupt, why would he use restore? If rabbinic Judaism... Mm -hmm. Was doing something that pleased God, would he A, be antagonized? No. Would he B, talk about them being in uh, discord and dissension? No. And C, would he ask them to return to him? No. They would already be there. Would they need to be restored? No. You're 0 for 4. Rabbinic Judaism is 0 for 4 on the single most important day to Yahweh. They've antagonized him. They're in discord with him. They need to return to him. And they need to be restored. Therefore, if you're listening to this and you are a Israelite, you are a Jew, and you want to be a or you want to be singular, Yahud, part of the Yahudim, beloved of Yah, then you need to pay attention. You need to walk away from the rabbis because what they're doing is antagonizing God. And you need to listen to how God says you need to be restored. And it's to be restored means that there's something tragically wrong with the way you are now. And that's because most Jews are either overtly religious or political. One of the many reasons for prophets and for leaving a written record of uh, Yahweh's promises in cases like this is because there would be 2,552 years between his offer in 520 BC and its fulfillment in 2033. With the enduring legacy, Yehudim can capitalize today, just as they were able to at any time along the way. was indeed disappointed with his people. And, you know, this is not an appalling Christian rant where we've made up a story of of, uh, Jews having conspired to uh, and connived to kill Jesus. A, there was no Jesus, and B, if they actually orchestrated Mm -hmm. his death, we ought to be thanking them because the Passover lamb doesn't do us any good unless it is sacrificed. Uh, And then, of course, Christianity went on, Paul's letters, and those he influenced to say that God got upset that Jews were conniving against him, and therefore he withheld uh, heaven from them and decided that he replaced them with Goyim. None of that is true. And it's all a vicious lie. This was written to Israelites and Yehudim, Jews. It's Jews, yes who are estranged from God, but so are Christians, so are Muslims, so are secular humanists. The difference between the Christians who are estranged from God and the secular humanists who are estranged from God and the Muslims who are estranged from God is that God's not calling them home. God frankly doesn't care if they return or not because they can't return because they never were. At least with Jews, they can return. They're the only people the, on earth that this applies to because they're the only person that can re, people that can return to the relationship. There never was a relationship with any Christian. There never was any relationship with any Muslim. There never was a relationship with God with any secular humanist. So the only people who can return and be restored are Jews. Now, do you ever hear anyone make that point, but no. I mean, is there, is there, <laughs> is there even one chance in a then. billion that that logic is flawed? No. So yes,
1: return, were you, God we never is were.
2: frustrated with Jews, but it is Jews that he is calling home, and it is Jews he is anticipating restoring in the relationship. No one else. That doesn't mean that you and I, Kirk, we're, we're not Judah. Mm-hmm. It doesn't I, mean that we can't know, participate. No, no, it's just that we can't no. return. We can't no. be restored because we never were previously. We can come but anew. I
1: can, I can be adopted.
2: We can come anew and be adopted. Uh, it's one Torah for all of us. Mm-hmm. So we can participate, but this is the call for Kapuram. is not the day of reconciliations for Gentiles Kippurim is not the day of reconciliation for secular humanists or Muslims or Christians you can't reconcile what never was and so this is a celebration of reconciliations and the reconciliations is Israel with Yahudah and then collectively with Yahweh when we as Goyim and covenant members says Goyim. Celebrate mm-hmm. Yom Kippur and what we're doing is we're celebrating the role that we can play in assisting Yahweh in calling his people home. We're celebrating what we're doing right now. We're celebrating reading the words and sharing the words thoughtfully of Zachariah. Now, well, you know, I think that what David did on his website, which is linked to from the Yadaya Yada website, um, where he presented just the passages as they uh, as they are, and therefore on that site you could look up Zachariah and you could read Zachariah 1:3. There's more to it than that, folks. There so just is. I had my son um, about a month ago was telling about that was um, completing the why you, why me chapter and, and why it uh, I've come out of the closet, if you will, and gone from just being yada and anonymous to where God seems to want to take this. Mm-hmm. And uh, he said, yeah, I was looking at some of the books you just sent me. And, you know, there's more uh, of the actual translations and less commentary. I like that. He says that's much better. Not necessarily. You know, I like the commentary in, too. The, 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 most, the most cited book uh, of the Torah is Dabarim. Do you know the book of Dabarim is nothing but commentary?
1: The entire book is yeah, commentary. Oh, 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 Moshe, yeah.
2: Yes, Moshe's commentary. Do you know that, uh, uh, that really every psalm
1: Mismur, that Dode
2: wrote Commentary, Yeah, that's what it is. And even y- Yahweh's prophets insert their own commentary and insights. That's the nature of it. Supposed God, to. God, supposed God they is what to.
1: they know. Yes.
2: Yeah. Yahweh chooses mm-hmm. to communicate through people for a reason. If he did not want our commentary, if he did not want our insights, he would just be a big, booming voice out there. He chose to communicate the Torah through Moshe and the Psalms through Dod because he wanted his people to benefit from their insights. These are individuals who devoted their life to understanding what Yahweh was offering, what he was asking in return, who he is, and how we come to know him. And therefore, their analysis of, their contemplation of, their insights re- regarding his testimony from one person to another were important. It's what he wanted to share. And here, this is a very simple statement. God was antagonized. He was in discord. He's obviously speaking to his people, and he's saying, I'm frustrated with you. Now, Paul in the Christian New Testament took that I'm frustrated with you, of I've given up on you, and I'm replacing you.
1: No. Don't say that.
2: No. God is frustrated with them, but not because of what happened uh, in the days prior to Passover, in uh, year 4000, 33 CE, but because they were religious. That was his frustration. But God said, I'm not giving up on you. I'm here to call you back to me. I'm not changing Jews for Gentiles. No, I'm calling you, my people, back home. I'm not trying to start a new relationship. I want to restore the old one. Now, I'd be willing to bet that even members of our covenant family would read right through that and say, that's wonderful. God is calling us home. God wants to restore his relationship with us. That is, that's uh, really lovely. And then move on to the next verse. Yeah. But if you are somebody that's coming out of Christianity, you need to know this was not written for you. If you're... Someone who is a, uh, a secular Jew, you need to know that you need to take that final step and jettison any connection with Judaism. And if you have had any contact with the rabbis, if, if you are, God forbid, a, uh, an Orthodox Jew, understand you're pissing God off. And there is no chance that you are ever going to have a relationship with him or ever going to be invited into his family, the covenant, unless you stop antagonizing him and then return to him. You'll also notice that this statement, in addition to mentioning I was named five times. Most of the times that Yahweh's name was mentioned, it is Yahweh Shabbat, and it's said a lot. Yahweh's name is not Yahweh Shabbat. Yahweh, and it's of Shabbat. Shabbat is one of those words that I am quite certain we really don't know all that was entailed in that word, because it was just rendered host, and uh, that was just it. And what in the hell is a host? The host, the person that throws a party. Well, if it is, then okay, that's a pretty good term. But I don't think that's how they mean it. Yeah, I was throwing, a, throwing seven parties <laughs> every record. year. He is our he is our host, uh, but but then he would be Yahweh the host, as opposed to Yahwa of hosts. True. Uh, it's uh, Saba is uh, uh, is typically rendered. Uh, in most uh, lexicons, as um, warriors, as um, armies of those who are array, arrayed in uh, in battalions, ready to fight. And what I think the connotation is of that, to the degree that it's it's accurate, and I don't like to go beyond what either the letters will tell us or the the lexicons will tell us, because then you know I'm I'm moving into the area of speculation. Uh, beyond the verbal roots, but to the degree that the this is a regimented group of of, of implements, and the Shaba is clearly of Malak the Malak comprise the Shaba Malak are spiritual messengers, um, heavenly representatives by using the term Shaba, which has a militaristic uh, content to it, they aren 't armed. Yeah, there's a couple of them that had swords, uh, but those swords were basically lightsabers saying, you know, they don't come into the garden. Uh, that they're not out there fighting battles. So there's another aspect of being arrayed as in regiments uh, in, a, in a militaristic fashion that God's conveying, it has nothing to do with fighting. And so there is. No, the, yeah, the nature of all uh, militaries is their command and control. There is no free will. That's why, you know, when the, the patriots said they're fighting for your freedom, bull, they're fighting for my mm-hmm. freedom. It's the least free organization in the country. One of the least free organizations in the world would be the U.S. military. You, you give up your free will. When you become a member of the military, you follow orders. And so, uh, what God is saying is that the Malak don't have free will. And then somebody would, will always say, well, what about Satan? He chose to rebel. Yes, he, uh, he did choose to rebel. Is it possible to choose to rebel and not have free will? Yeah, it is. What happens... When a private chooses to defy an order given by a general.
1: gets disciplined. They, made, they made a
2: choice, for? but they will quickly find mm-hmm. that they did not have free will.
1: Mm-hmm. They,
2: they can't say, hey, it was my free will. No, they're either going to, depending mm-hmm. on the severity of it, they're either going to be court-martialed, drummed out of the Corps, mm-hmm. be imprisoned, which is likely, or be killed, depending on the consequence. They do not have free will. So you can choose to rebel uh, and not have free will if there's if the consequence is uh, that uh, there's a, an immediate penalty. Now, some would say, well, what about us? If we choose to rebel against God, is there a, a penalty? Well, if somebody is stupid enough to say, I want to rebel against God, and they just do it themselves, there's there's no penalty. They had free will, and there is no penalty. If they do it like uh, the uh, a-hole that's uh, up there in the Vatican uh, in Rome of the Roman Catholic Church, there's a hell of a consequence. Because then, they claim to speak for God, and they led millions to their spiritual death. The death of their souls. So, you... um, Get an idea as to what God is trying to say—that the Malak aren't these cute little beings with uh, with wings and angelic smiles that uh, I have an angel on my shoulder and and they just love me so much. No, they're, they're not loving beings; they're functional beings mm-hmm. that are immortal in time. I happen to be quite happy with the Malak. I'm not in any way demeaning the Malak when I say this. It's, I mean, if you're going to be in a regiment, what better regiment to be in than Yahweh's? I and mean, they have access to Yahweh. Yahweh is using them. I mean, I mean, really, what's the difference uh, in in terms of what we do? Yahweh's using us too. Proud to have him use it. Do we have free will? Yes. Uh, are we therefore able to come up with some insights uh in what we say and do yes uh, so I think there's an advantage in that regard but uh, the lines of communication between the Malak and Yahwa are first rate it's a wonderful uh, it's a wonderful job and there's a lot of them
0: and and it's it how Yawa, the
2: right and it's how Yahwa interacts with us in this world. Word. He yeah. interacts with his set-of-heart spirit and with the Malak. Yahweh well, is disappointed that his people have listened to those who have written so many inaccurate things about him, preferring man's stifling and self-serving diatribes to his liberating and uplifting covenant. And yet, he is consistent about calling us home, people home, giving his people another chance to reconcile a relationship with him. Now, we have concluded our review of the second sentence recorded of Zachariah, and Yahweh's name has already been mentioned. I, I must have missed two of them seven times. Oh yeah, I
0: know mm-hmm. I missed
2: uh, I five like times is Yahweh, and then we uh, we have a uh, a. Uh, two names that include, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that include Yahweh's name and Yeah, uh, no, so, yeah, that's right. So it's seven, five times Yahweh's name and twice included in uh, in the, the prophet's name and his father's name. Now, that's pretty powerful. This alone mm-hmm. will isolate and estrange rabbis and the Hasidic Jews, Roman Catholics, and Protestant Christians. The other essential uh, insight in this opening stanza is that to return to the loving embrace of our Heavenly Father, we must change our attitude and perspective. Religious and political man is uh, separated from God as a result of discord and dissension. And that's got to change for him to restore his relationship with us. We may also want to consider why Yahweh described himself as, as I said, Yahweh Saba, and it is because he is offering his moloch spiritual implements to protect those who avail themselves of this offer you know there're not a lot of us and uh, um, the adversary would like to see a silence so god precludes
1: that from happening
2: so addressing go ahead kirk <laughs> no i just i
1: just saying. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> It's the same thing as your little, uh, when you had the psalm uh, in your pocket. I mean, that's an old favorite of mine when I was a Christian still. Oh, yeah, Psalm 91. Yeah, he
0: must have.
1: Yes. Psalm 91, so, uh, yeah, yes. You know. psalm 91 is, by
2: the way, it, it is really beautifully presented in um, uh, the Why You, Why Me chapter. I think it's chapter now three of volume one of ITG on the uh, on the site. It's um, uh, it, wow. It is It is a wow. It is Uh, There's so much of that that is relevant to what we're uh, doing, including, yeah, I would say that I'm doing all this uh, because uh, I want you uh, to make my name known again. Wow. Do not continue to be like your fathers, whom the former prophets spoke, issuing summons to them saying, This is what Yahweh, of the vast array of spiritual implements, says. Please return and be restored from your improper and immoral and your disagreeable and displeasing endeavors. But they did not listen. They did not pay attention. They did not respond to me prophetically, declares Yahweh. And when we read Yermaya, Yashaya. the message is really consistent. It's God saying, oh, my God, you're so gun religious. It's just sickening. Why, of all people, have you invented all sorts of false gods and now worship them? Why, why have you created this mess for yourself when I've been right here all the time? And yet they didn't listen for thousands of years. God's saying, I looked for someone with whom I could work and there was no one, no one. So God is constantly telling his people that their religion makes him sick. Please return and be restored from your improper and immoral raw. Every raw word is a bad word.
1: Bad news. Mm-hmm.
2: bad news you're undesirable oh, you're malignant ways mm-hmm. and you're disagreeable and displeasing endeavors you know, one of the things about rabbinic Judaism is they're in love with their forefathers they just love to cite some rabbi or some sage going back the years and God says no they're improper they're displeasing they're disagreeable stop doing that and they do it all the more because they do not listen, they do not pay attention, they do not respond to Yahweh. That breaks my heart. Uh, um, mm-hmm. The more I'm exposed to Rabbinic Judaism, the sadder I am. And you know, I I was once a uh, a Christian, and so I I shake my head at at the arrogance of that religion and its error. Uh, But while I'm personally embarrassed by Christianity, God is hurt by Judaism even more. These are his people. They had every advantage. Now, this prophetic statement, as demonstrated by Naum, uh, is an announcement in advance of it occurring. It's a prophetic statement. So God is telling us in advance, telling people down the road, people of our time, that all along his people have been religious and disgusting. So God is speaking to his people today, as is evidenced by the opening verb, haya, which was scribed in the imperfect thereby addressing ongoing behavior. Yah was then asking Israel to listen to him rather than to their fathers. Listen to him and not their rabbis.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Now, Kirk, this is a blanket indictment. That's the yeah, same oh, yeah. blanket indictment that we find in, in Yerma and Yasha Yah. Um, God's message to his people continues to be, Please return and be restored from your improper and immoral ways, your injurious endeavors. Well, that means there's cannot, no reforming yeah. Judaism. Mm-hmm. You got to, you have to re, reject it, to be reconciled with God. Go ahead, Kirk.
1: Yeah. Now I was going to say the raw. You know, you got the raw, and then you got the mall. Malal, rather, and you've got uh, with the rise uh, adversarial ways, which is Satan's called Hasaton for mm-hmm. reason the adversary. Your abnormal, dysfunctional actions, are, and with uh, uh, with that, with your own perspective. That's why it's mm-hmm. written. It's, uh, you are studying your own perspective, not Yahweh's. Uh, the Maal was an interesting word. It's, uh, if you start with the M, you've got a question. You might want to question why you have a perspective using the AIM. And where it's leading, uh, it's two L's, two L's. Mm-hmm. Uh So you have, you have. So I looked at my all, and I've got work, endeavors, mocking and abusing others, a definite attitude problem. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and interestingly, it allows for meanings like inventions, which I thought was rather really interesting because the NT and the Talmud, etc., are all invented uh, by the wannabe lawyers. Uh, so yeah, you, you can't miss what he's saying. In other words, I no, don't do this primarily
2: no, yeah, just to say, "Wow, this is." Yeah, I mean yeah. the improper and immoral is from raw. Now the mm-hmm. only thing that raw means beyond improper and immoral is it speaks of a culture of the chosen people. So it's the contemporaries, the citizens, the comrades, the associates uh, are improper. So raw and raw ah. Is both the word for neighbor and countryman, and improper mm-hmm. and immoral. Now that that's not good. If if no. the word for neighbor and countryman and associate <laughs> is the same word for improper and immoral, <laughs> you've got a, a broad, widespread problem in your community, uh, which is of yeah. course he's speaking to his people, Jews. And then, you know,
1: there's, uh, try,
2: go ahead. well, I was going to say then Ra'im is just the plural mm-hmm. of Ra. Mm-hmm. disagreeable and displeasing in lots of ways, ra'im. And then the word which just, I, that I just rendered endeavors, well, it's more than that mm-hmm. because it's ma'al'al. An al'al mm-hmm. means foolish and abusive, wanton and wicked, and ma' yeah. means think about it. Think yeah. about all the ways that you're being foolish and abusive, wanton and wicked.
1: Okay, I'm on, that means I'm on the right, Derek?
2: Yeah, and they got <laughs> the right fast. In spite of all of this stupidity, they would not listen. They wouldn't pay you know, attention. They weren't even willing to consider
1: me. Just, just a little statement. There has never been a time in history, at least post diaspora. When Yehudim, um, the people that we were working so hard to return to Yah have had so many resources and opportunities and, for that matter, abilities to make free will decisions to control their own fate than it is right now. This is this would fall on deaf ears in so many eras because they were, they were slaves. They were taken off here, taken off there. Yep. Uh, they were dominated by all these cultures, but now they're not. They can go to the right. library just like us. They can do all the things that we're doing, and they can can look at your stuff and say, well, let's see, is he really right? And you're going to find out, yeah, he is, because he works harder than the rest of us.
2: You know, the site now works beautifully. com presents beautifully on a smartphone. I'm sure -hmm. I've got a a Samsung Android phone, and I'm not sure it's all that smart. And it works beautifully on my phone. And, you know, I have uh, three browsers on my phone. And so I can put in any one of those words in a browser mm-hmm. on my phone, and I can look at any one of them up and say, all right, is he telling me the truth when he says that uh, uh, Ra'im is the plural of Ra? Is he telling me the truth that Allah is a compound of Ma, questionable, and Alal, foolish and abusive? And mm-hmm. is ra, both the Hebrew word for neighbor and countryman, within, by the way, Yisrael, mm-hmm. and also improper and immoral, harmful and troubling, unreliable and malignant. And if those things are true, then how are you going to deal with this passage other than what we're saying? And that being the case, what are you going to do about it?
0: Exactly. Okay, So
2: that's a blanket indictment if there ever was one. Um, mm-hmm. and God's message is uh, to his people continues to be uh, return, be restored. From being it's always shoot, isn't it? Yeah, shoe. Uh from being jerks. Yeah. For God's sake. It's my desire, sure. God is saying, but it's it's your choice which is affirmed by Nah. Nah, in the imperative mood, this is both, and they're both applied to Shub. so it means please, but it's your option. God, I would really like you to return. There are only uh, two invasive and enduring sources of ra'im within a society sufficiently pervasive and disabling to be addressed in this way religion and politics. Mm -hmm. And with the political governance of Yisrael and Yahudah being largely out of uh, Jewish control, we are left with only one rational alternative. Yahweh is condemning Judaism, realizing that it is the religion's single biggest, that this religion, Judaism, is the single biggest impediment to his people being able to return to him and be restored. Listen, when it comes to their treatment of God's chosen people, Roman Catholicism has been the worst religion in human history and has abused Jews for the longest time. No question. And certainly uh, today, uh, Islam has taken jihadi aim at Jews. But ultimately the religion that has done the most harm to Jews is Judaism. It has deprived a higher percentage of Jews uh, of a relationship with Yahweh. That's why God is so disgusted by it. So let's listen and respond appropriately. Um Certainly. This uh, begins, do not continue to be like your fathers, to whom the former and first and foremost prophets spoke, issuing a summons to them, saying, this is what Yahweh of the spiritual implement says, please, with a great sense of urgency, I'm encouraging you to choose to change your attitude and your perspective so that you can be restored from your ways, which are improper and immoral, undesirable and malignant, and your disagreeable and displeasing religion, which is foolish and self-destructive, a wanton and wicked diversion. Ouch. That is the answer, but the question remains. Will you be like those of us in the covenant? who have disassociated from religion to be incorporated into Yahs family? Or will you be like your fathers and their fathers before them, who turned a deaf ear and a cantankerous mind to God? As for them, but they did not listen. They did not pay attention or respond to me, prophetically declares Yahweh it's just so sad. And mm-hmm. God was so clear. They all know he said this. Oh, why reject Yahweh for a rabbi? Now, rabbis desperate to retain their aggrandized and lucrative hold on Jews will no doubt protest that I am, or more accurately, God is, being anti-Semitic and excoriating Judaism. But that's just right. not true. Hashem. It is Hashem. not true. Our compassion compels us to tell the chosen people the truth before the lies overwhelm them. And really, what is anti-Semitic it would be anti-Shem.
1: Ain't have the name, ain't have the name yet. Yeah. And it's
2: the rabbis who are anti-Shem, not us.
1: Yeah, we just covered it, it a certain time.
2: Y- you, no greater love has any Gentile ever had for Yahweh's chosen people that He would devote twenty years of His life. To exposing and condemning the religion that has forestalled the relationship, so that they might come to know Yahweh, answer his invitations to meet, and accept the terms and conditions of the covenant.
1: Human
2: condition by Unspoken on Amazon
3: Music. Alexa, off. Uh, uh.
1: Oh, goodness. One second.
0: Okay.
2: Oh, my goodness. What an interruption. And wouldn't respond. That is a... Yeah. An Alexa device. what
1: is that woman you gave me?
2: Oh yeah, that woman you <laughs> gave me. <laughs> wow, how obnoxious! I uh, know. Oh, my. And I'm,
0: not gonna cri- I'm not going
2: to be. not going to be critical of uh, of Amazon. They are printing our books. Um no. But uh, that was a that was a rude uh, interruption.
0: Mm.
2: I'm sure there was something in there that sounded like the wake-up name, which mm-hmm. I won't say again.
0: No, uh,
2: because obviously she was listening.
1: Right, <laughs> 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 You know how low-tech I am. This is you scary. know, I was uh. reading an
2: article. I was reading an article written by a uh, an acclaimed rabbi um, this week. I, I don't know why I do this, but. You know, because we have smartphones, and you know, and you get older, you wake up in the middle of the night, and so to go back to sleep, I will typically read, and so I will turn to uh, either um, the Jerusalem Post or there's, I think it's called a Roots uh, Seven. It's uh, uh, Jerry McLaughlin turned me on. It's a little more conservative, it's a little the site's not as clean, but uh, um, some interesting articles on it. I was reading an article about the uh, the rabbis and the uh, the rabbis uh, were, uh, uh, this rabbi, a very highly acclaimed rabbi, was uh, protesting that uh, the greatest threat to Jews were uh, Christian missionaries. He said that the Christian proselytizers, particularly those that uh, say that uh, Jesus' name is um, uh,
0: Yeshu. What,
2: what, what yeshu. Oh, no, yes, yeshu, Oh no, just Yeshua, yes. Which is slightly different than their name, which is an acronym, he whose uh, name shall be blotted out. Uh, that that they are the single greatest threat to Jews. Oh, They're a far greater threat to Jews than uh than uh is anyone associated with um uh, specifically Hamas or Hezbollah according to this guy. And The reason is that if a Jew were to accept uh, what they're saying, he would cease to be a Jew, as if uh, being Jewish was not an ethnicity. All of a sudden, being Jewish now, and I don't know why the rabbis would say, you know, you're Jewish, if if your mother is Jewish, you're Jewish. Uh, That sounds like that's uh, an ethnicity to me. But no, they would say that uh, you cease to be Jewish, uh, if uh, you become a uh, a Christian in any one of their forms, now, um, you know he says, you know they would claim that he is the Son of God, and of course that he is not. But what this rabbi went on to say, and and you know we're we're in agreement that uh, that you can get his name right, I can, they can't. But Yosha, who was the Passover lamb, was not the Son of God. He was the Passover lamb. It was not the Messiah the Passover lamb, they do not recognize that he was the Passover lamb, and they don't recognize his name, and they actually write in their Talmud that he was the worst person who ever lived and is forever mm. enduring hell. Now, they're speaking of Yahweh's soul saving us as Yosha, and they say he's the worst person who ever lived in is Mm-hmm. Soul is forever destined to hell. And they don't even believe in hell. So wow. talk about wow. talk about loss. Disgusted. Yeah, that's a greater threat than is Hezbollah and Hamas. You know what he's doing? I read the uh, article to Leah and mm-hmm. he said, Yeah, they're protecting their turf. They've uh they've yeah. uh, rabbis have this money making thing where their prestige comes from making it exceedingly difficult to Uh, be opposed to the rabbis and uh, tend to not play by the rabbis' rules. Another article uh, at the same time was that their Knesset member came in with non-kosher bottle of wine. Oh my God. rabbis didn't make a buck on the wine. That was against the Knesset rules. These guys are just snakes. And that's what God is saying. (laughs) You know, it's uh, funny that I was reading and it was just translated a passage where uh, God was was uh, um saying "No, oh, you can eat whatever you want.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, come
2: to me, in fact I think it was during our, our uh, one of our last programs, but yeah, you come to me and um in fact I I think it's actually in uh, in the new Y U Y Me chapter, but it's come to me and you can freely eat whatever you want. Uh and He specifically says milk and wine. And of all of the foods, the two that the kosher laws are the most gimme, gimme, gimme to the rabbis are milk and wine. And God predicted it a thousand years before they enacted it even more. But what the rabbis do with milk and wine is that milk can't be kosher. Unless there's a stupid rabbi overseeing what the cow eats, the milking of the cow, the transportation of the milk, and then the, the production of the milk. Praying, I'm sure, waving back and forth and bobbing up and down. But milk is one of those, oh man, to be kosher, that cow needs to be What Does God say anything about milk?
1: No, I think we would have found it.
2: No. (laughs) Then they have all these rules. Well, you can't eat, you can't drink, have anything that's dairy within four hours of anything that you've eaten that's not dairy. If you've eaten something that's a piece of meat, for example, you can't even have their kosher dairy for three or four hours.
1: Heaven forbid
2: you have a cheeseburger. But what in the hell did Abraham offer Yahweh when they, they were uh, having a meal together. Curds, milk, and beef. Sounds mm-hmm. like a, a cheeseburger and a milkshake to me. But God said, it's milk and wine. And what is the thing about wine? That's the other one. No wine is kosher unless it's made by a kosher Jew.
1: Does
2: anybody listen? Well, this is such utter nonsense. All it is is highway robbery. Jews are paying rabbis to kill them. You know how God's. Uh, you now know God's advice. What you do with it is up to you. But if you are foolish enough to choose the rabbis over Yahweh, then at least show some integrity and admit that you are worshiping men because you have rejected God. Now this passage is especially telling if considered alongside the second of the seven instructions that Yacht and Stone encouraging us to highly regard our father and mother, the prophets Um, Do not be like your father's line, therefore, is one of many declarations which make it obvious that prolonged life in the promised land is predicated upon us demonstrating reverence and respect towards our heavenly father and spiritual mother, Mm -hmm. not our Mm -hmm. mortal parents, who we've been told not to emulate. Your fathers, where are they? And the prophets, isn't it true that they live forever? Zachariah, remember
1: Yahweh 1-5.
2: Your fathers, where are they? Well, the rabbis seem to know because they conduct pilgrimages. They'll even go to the God-forsaken land of the Ukraine where Jews were tormented in pogroms long before the Holocaust and where the worst atrocities of the Holocaust transpired. And because there was some stupid rabbi there, they venerate, they will go to his tomb. You know, when that, whether well, it's about, I don't know if it's 50 or 100, but uh, a bunch of uh, of mourning coat wearing Hasidic Jews got trampled to death uh, when oh, yeah. they were, yeah, were uh, out uh, on a Celebration. I think this was the uh, rabbi that allegedly wrote uh, the Zohar. No, he didn't. The Zohar was written you know, a, thousand, a thousand years later. But they go to his grave. That's what they're doing. They're, they're worshiping men at their graves. So God says, where in the hell are they? Wormrot's is where they are. And the prophets... Isn't it true
1: that they live forever? Oh. Ouch. So who are you going to call, huh? Yeah, Talk who are you you're are.
2: going to call? Yeah, because they chose religion over relationship, the Israelites have spurned their father's protection. As a result... Uh, they have been abused and killed by the Egyptians, the Philistines, the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Persians, the Greeks, the Romans, the Roman Catholics, the Muslims, and the Nazis. By comparison, the prophets, while few, are in Shamaim. One of these days, we're going to meet Zechariah. In particular, I want to meet Yashaya. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, man, I just want to wrap my arms around him. <laughs> And say, hey, man, you did good. My honor to know you. The lone determining factor has uh, continued to be those whose word do you trust? God's or man? To be with Yah, let's uh, remember. In the eighth month, in the second year, in 520 BCE, the word of Yahweh came to exist with Zachariah son of Barak, Yah, son of Edo, the prophet, to say Yahweh was antagonized and displeased with your fathers because of their discord and dissension. Therefore say to them that this is what Yahweh of the spiritual implements proposes and what he requests. Return to me prophetically declares Yahweh of hosts, so that when I return, I can restore you at that time, promises Yahweh of the heavenly envoys, do not continue to be like your fathers, to whom the former and the first and foremost prophets spoke, issuing a summons to them, saying, "This is what Yahweh of the spiritual implement says, please." with a great sense of urgency. Please, I'm encouraging you, choose to change your attitude and perspective and return so that you can be restored from your ways, which are improper and immoral, undesirable and malignant, and from your disagreeable and displeasing religion, which is foolish, self-destructive, a wanton and wicked diversion. But they don't listen. They don't pay attention or respond to me prophetically, declares Yahweh. Your fathers, where are they? Where are they? You know, you go to their tombs. And yet the prophets, isn't it true that they live forever? Well, let's pick up the prelude to Yom Kippur with uh, these uh, dramatic words. Pay attention. Come. Flee. From the realm to the north, prophetically declares Yahweh. So, oi, oi, oi. Pay attention. Come, alas, this final warning. Flee, noose, escape, be gone. Choose to depart from the realm to the north. chaffon, everything you have treasured and hidden away as meaningful and valuable, announces in advance of it occurring Naam, Yahweh. For I have scattered you like the four winds of the heavens, announces Yahweh. Now, I think that Shafon is likely more symbolic than it is directional. It is instructive to know that there are 7 million Jews currently living in Israel. The lands north of Israel, which Yahweh may be calling his people, would include all of the following... The United States, where there are also 7 million Jews. In fact, some say 8. France, with 550,000 Jews. Canada, 450,000. The disunited kingdom, 330,000. Putin's Russia, 320,000. Merkel's Germany, 150,000. That cesspool known as the Ukraine, 90,000. Hungary, 75, the Netherlands, 43, Belgium, 35, Italy, 34, Switzerland, 22, Sweden, 20, Turkey, 19, Belarus, 17,000, Spain, 15,000, Austria, 14, Romania, 13, Iran, 10, Azerbaijan, 10,000, Latvia, 8,000, Denmark, 7,500, Poland, 7,000, Uzbekistan, 6,000, Greece, 5,000, the Czech Republic five thousand, Kazakhstan forty eight hundred, Lithuania forty seven hundred, Bulgaria four thousand, Moldova thirty eight hundred, Slovenia thirty six hundred, Ireland thirty six hundred, China amongst one point what four billion people three thousand two hundred, Georgia three thousand, Estonia twenty seven hundred, Croatia twenty four hundred. Serbia, 2,100. Norway, 1,600. Finland, 1,600. In Japan, 1,200. With no other nation north of Israel hosting more than 1,000 Jews. Now that came from the Berman Jewish Data Bank. What luck do you think you would have if you were to query how many Irish descendants live in Poland? How many French descendants live in Poland? How many uh,
0: yeah.
2: Turks live in Uzbekistan? I don't, think you'd, no. I don't think you could find a source that would give you even an estimate. No. But the Jews know. This was compiled at Stanford University. This totals 10,300,000 Jews living north of Israel in addition to the 7 million that are already living in Israel. The only nation with meaningful Jewish populations south of Israel would include Argentina with a quarter of a million, Australia with 130,000, Brazil 120,000, South Africa with 75, Mexico, Chile, Uruguay, Panama, Venezuela, and New Zealand. Um, even India down to 6,000, Peru at 2,500, 700,000 Jews is all that live south of Israel. So when mm-hmm. God says, I'm going to pull you from the north geographically, well, that would uh, be uh, seven, yeah 17 million Jews versus 700,000. Geographically aside, this does not mean that you living south of the equator should not listen to Yahweh in return. It's just that the conditions may not be as dire in those places. Moreover, should we translate Chafon as everything that you have treasured and hidden away as meaningful and considered valuable, uh, then it would include things like religion, politics, wealth which are unrelated to geography. And I think that's really what God was talking about. I'm calling mm-hmm. you away from the things that you've treasured. In advance of his return to Zion in year 6000, Yah, on the day of reconciliation, Yahweh well, pleads, "Oi, I am warning and admonishing you, escape to Zion, to the signs posted along the way. Daughters of Babel, confusion through commingling, for this is what was conveyed by Yahweh, the spiritual implements. I think we're going to end here, uh, uh, Kirk, okay. uh, yes. because uh, I'd really like to make this an important point, and we're continuing to communicate to those who are listening on the phone, but uh, uh, and and not, still not record, the whole body of them. but but not yeah. over the the website anymore. And okay. it's important to know that Yahweh <laughs> is calling his people out of Babel. And you know, I uh, I made a mistake as it relates to Babel um, that mm-hmm. I'm attempting to correct. I have said that uh, Babel represents that there is political Babel, which is the United States. That there's religious Babel, which is the Roman Catholic Church. There's geographic Babel, uh, which would be uh, the lands to which the uh, the Israelites and were taken. People. Yeah, were taken uh, by uh, the Assyrians. And there's nothing that's untrue about any of that. It's just not complete. It's the truth, not the whole truth. There's something else, Babel, Babylon. From which Yahweh was calling his people, that is even more important than calling them out of political Babylon in the United States, religious Babylon on the Converso Jews and the Roman Catholic Church, or uh, geographic Babylon. You know what that is? There's the fourth Babylon.
1: I would assume it's the attitude of religious people. I don't know. It is. I'm but, not sure where you're going,
2: Bob. Far more yeah. direct. The uh, the Talmud, the Jews study. Oh, it's, okay. They, they actually well, refer yeah. to it as Babylonian, the, the Babylonian it, Talmud. It is the Babylonian Talmud. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so they played There's right into go. it. The very thing that God is calling them out of is the Babylonian Talmud, which is the essence of the religion. That is, that is the backbone of Judaism. It's its essential soul and heart. Talk about stupid. That
3: plays a much bigger role than the Jerusalem Talmud ever does.
2: Uh -uh. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Jerusalem Talmud is is hardly considered. They'll give uh, Rabbi Akiba lip service, and they'll give some of his uh, protege's lip service, uh, mostly projecting back on them things that they never had anything to do with. But the the Jerusalem Talmud is incomplete. It's poorly written. Um, There's a lot of evidence that Akiba wasn't even Jewish. He was just a... uh, a guy that was power hungry, uh, usurper that uh, mm-hmm. married into uh, to wealth and power, and, uh, and spent his time in a very abusive way. Um, but uh, um, no, the Jerusalem Talmud is is virtually uh, um, unconsidered. It's a it's a very raw book. So the the book that is the basis of, of Rabbinic Judaism and has been since 500 CE, is the Babylonian Talmud. And so that is the Babylon, the mm-hmm. intermixing. You know, There their arguments on the, on the Torah, this, the intermixing, that God is talking about it. And one of the most disgusting things that rabbinical Jews do is they constantly refer to the Torah. And they, they call themselves a Torah observant, but they're not speaking of the Torah of Yahweh. They're speaking into the Babylonian Talmud, which they call the uh, the the,
0: uh, the Torah, Torah,
2: the Torah of the mouth. The Torah of the mouth is what they call it, the Oral Torah, Torah of the mouth. But it is the it is indeed. Look it up. It's the Babylonian Talmud, and that's the very thing that God's calling His people out of. So. Uh, we're not going to get a breath as we continue in Zechariah. It builds and it builds and it builds. And there's so many amazing revelations and it's emotional. It's cerebral. Um, It is all about the single most important day in all of history for God. And it's God calling his people home so there's someone there to celebrate. And it is what we dedicate ourselves to. Uh, you know, It's when I came to recognize this and what God has to say about our efforts in this regard that life fundamentally changed. Um, uh, the, the idea of us fellows um, meeting with Yahweh as uh, he returns on Yom Kippur and we get to camp out with him on Sukkah and thinking that, that we didn't give it our all. And so that the, the number of and the quality of the Israelites and Yehudim that were there on Kippuram, uh to reach out and return to Yah and to proclaim his name and accept his invitation, that they are few. Because, well, we could have done better. We could have done more. We could have been more bold. We we could have shared more insights. We could have been more effective in condemning the religion of Judaism so that more Jews would be open to Yahweh's testimony. I don't want to experience that. I I, I would really like for Yahweh to look at all of us and say, you did a good job. I'm really proud of of what you accomplished, and and look at the result. Isn't yeah, this
0: wonderful? Well
1: wonderful? And so, one. yeah, one.
2: and that's there's not a lot of time left. That's the least we can do. We, you know, we're going to get all of the time we invest in this back uh, an infinite fold.
3: Tenfold. <laughs>
2: <Kind of> <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. Infinite
2: fold. Infinite fold. So. <laughs> You know, there's uh, the passage I just finished translating uh, before the show began. Is uh, Moshe's father-in-law, you know, comes to him and says, "You know, Moshe, all day long, you know, everybody's standing around you, and you're dealing with uh, disputes and challenges and questions from the people all day long. This you know, this isn't healthy." I mean, now the inference is you need to delegate something. And then he says, why do you do it? And he says, because the people have something they want to say. Because the people, they genuinely want to know about God. They They want to exercise good judgment to understand. That's why I do it. And well, Moshe's answer was beautiful. The realization is that that a family should operate where we're all engaged and we're all contributing. We're all making a difference. We're working together. It's, it's better in every possible way for all of us. And at the time... Moshe should have responded to his father-in-law and said, no one stopped you from helping out. There's a group of people over there. Why don't you go help them out? Are you not prepared? Are you not willing? You're not able? Why are you not engaged? And so I would say to everyone, we, we need you. you know, if, if somebody's saying, you know, you're... You know, why you, why me, and you're making a big deal about what Yahweh says about uh, your calling. Well, God, one of the things you know, learn about God very early on is he does not make a promise to anyone that he's not willing to honor for everyone. So it, it shouldn't be just me or us that is saying this applies to us. It's, there should be a million of us.
1: Well, anyone and
3: who wants it to. Yes. And everyone should want
2: to. It's the greatest job in the world. It's the most rewarding, the most enlightening, the most liberating, the most enriching, most empowering. There is nothing you can do with your time that has a greater reward. And so if it was just selfish and you were trying to get the most out of this life, the most enjoyment out of this life, what you should do. But mm-hmm. it's pretty hard to be exposed to Yahweh, who is anything but selfish, and not want to share, and want so many others to be able to capitalize. And you now, one thing I don't want to to I want to leave without um, making a, a mistake here that there may be some inference here that this uh, uh, went beyond what I should have said in, in terms of wanting to to do our utmost such that everybody that Yahweh would be interested in knowing is there for Yom Kippur. We are not out to evangelize the world. In fact, we would never use that term. No. We're not trying to win the world for, uh, for uh, Yahweh. We don't want to convince anybody. We're just saying, here is what Yahweh says. He's calling his people home. This is who he is. This is what he's offering. This is what he expects in return. He is spectacular. He's fun. He's bright. He's liberating. He's generous. He's enriching. He's empowering. It's the best offer in the universe. And we're not only enjoying it, but we're eager to share it. And if you're interested, come right on in.
1: Well, remember when you started, it was the same thing. You said, you know, um, knows. Well, yeah, knows. Or he seems to know you. Uh, who he's going to yes. who will respond? So, right, uh, and so it's, not, me, about, it it's not about the quantity. Right, not about no. the
2: quantity. It's about the quality of uh, yeah, of right. individuals. And the last thing we want is somebody who really ought not be there. Um, I mean, and have to spend eternity. in right?
3: the party. Yeah.
2: Good. I don't want to have to uh, debate. The Idiocy of Conspiracy. You know, I had a, uh, a guy that sent me an, an email that began F you, was the uh, was the title of the email. So, you know, and it was at yada, Yawa. So it was uh, somebody that's uh, listed the program or read the books and began "Fu." So, you know, you're dealing with a, a sweetheart of an individual that has a very high IQ um, right off the bat. And, uh, and so, you know, you're always going to a little trepidation. This is, must be a really uh, articulate individual. Uh, that wrote this email, and for some reason I said it's one I hadn't blocked yet, and I, uh, I, I clicked it, and it says that uh, there's this video you can watch that shows that Pfizer is harvesting the um, uh, the ingredients for its vaccine from uh, live babies without even having the 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 um, mercy to give them anesthesia. And so they're harvesting what whatever I'm it sure. is that they're making this vaccine out of babies while torturing them. And I just want to say, if you were that effing stupid, why would you share it? You know, when, when I was a kid, one of my things that, uh, that someone far wiser than me said, you know, it's, it's better to be silent and appear stupid than it is to open your <laughs> mouth and remove all doubt.
1: I mean,
2: come on. Listen,
1: uh, I'm just saying the quickest way to lose
3: my interest in your argument is for you to send me a video and say, watch this. Yeah, you know, of course. I automatically have no uh, – no, no. You know, your opinion means nothing to me. If you can't nothing articulate it yourself, uh, right. I don't care. I'm not watching right. some it, video.
2: Right. You can't put it in words. Even somebody that I respect says, I want you to watch this video. I think it's interesting. I will just say, why don't you summarize – what it says in writing, because I like writing, because I can I can look at it and say, "Hmm, I'm not sure that's uh, that's right. Let me uh, let me Google this and find out what uh, what I can learn." And and it's so easy to do verification. Very hard to do verification on oral presentation. And and uh, you know the fact is we read seven times faster than we can we can listen anyway.
3: Well, when you read, you process things in a more logical way. When you're watching a video, you're going to be emotionally charged by the visuals, by the tone of the person's voice. Yes. So all those things change how you perceive it. Whereas reading words, you process the words. Yeah, it was like, what was the one with um, Kennedy versus um, Nixon debate? Like people who… Listened to the debate or read transcripts of the debate, thought uh, Nixon had won it. People who watched yeah. the video thought Kennedy had won it.
2: Yes, Kennedy was more polished, and he had that uh, he had that uh, a smile and a charm and a swagger mm-hmm. about him, where uh, Nixon perspired. And so the visuals favored Kennedy, who was younger and handsome and didn't perspire, but the words themselves were overwhelmingly in favor of Nixon even though Kennedy was an exceedingly bright man. But uh, you're, uh, that's a great mm-hmm. example. I was listening to, a uh, of all things now, a video because my wife does like uh, uh, educational videos. Uh, she has four or five scholars that she uh, um, favors. And one of her favorites is a psychologist. And uh, and he's a bright fellow. I've listened to some of his interviews. He, he's... he's clearly very well-educated and uh, and not politically correct. So he's, he goes right after it. He was interviewing uh, one of the uh, founders of Greenpeace. And he was president and founder of Greenpeace. And he made some interesting statements. He uh, began by saying that Greenpeace started off as a non-political organization. All we cared about was the science uh, and the science said that we're wiping out whales, and, and that's a bad thing to do. The science said we're using atmospheric tests of uh, nuclear bombs, and that's a really bad thing to do. And he says, so we were effective at essentially stopping the annihilation of whales on this planet, and we were effective in stopping atmospheric testing of nuclear bombs. That was a worthwhile thing to do. And then he said that because we, we became effective doing these things, We were able to raise money and build an organization. And when we did that, we attracted the political types and we were essentially hijacked by uh, liberal politics. And it was no longer about the the scientists, but instead about the politics of it. It says the greatest example of that now is uh, um, climate change. Uh, he says there is absolutely no material correlation between man and climate change. The science is completely faulty. And he says that, that's my bailiwick. I, I'm a, a student of this. He says, now if I were a young professor doing studies, I couldn't say that because all of the funding comes for those that want to advance the mm-hmm. same claim. He said, is climate changing? Absolutely but the history of this planet and the forces that affect our climate are so far beyond the scope of man that we have a tiny effect on it. And there's nothing we can do to, to reduce those trends. We could take all of our industry and not make a dent in it. And so it is a great example of, of, uh, science being overtaken by liberal politics. And we're right now on the cusp of of worldwide communism in the uh, the application of measures to battle climate change. Climate change and um, uh, coronavirus have given the liberals in charge of uh, of, uh, world governments Uh, a green card uh, to control people's liberty and their livelihoods. And one of the things that we're seeing, and he even talked about this, is that because of what we have done relative to the coronavirus, for example, that many, many times more people are going to die and we destroyed the economy and the process because of the way we responded. Um, and the same thing is going to be true with the climate change. It's going to fundamentally change uh, world governments and economies. Um, and you look today at the, you know, when I, when I said that in the first month of the coronavirus, that this, uh, that this propensity to deprive people of their liberties and their livelihoods was going to be counterproductive and that, that we would destroy the economy. And that uh, governments can never micromanage an economy, that there's no governor, even if they had been in business, which 99% of them have not, uh, can ascertain this is a, uh, um, an essential business and an essential worker. And this is not because these, the elements that make up free enterprise, which is the only form of economy that actually works, uh, are so intricate of uh, the way that it's orchestrated in terms of raw materials and transportation and packaging and, uh, and all forms of distribution and uh, global manufacturing and the like, that the moment you start shutting things down, that things will get so out of kilter that you'll never get them back. And now, you know, raw materials, you try to buy wood for a house, it's three or four times what it was. You try to buy cement and all of a sudden it's not even available. You try to buy steel, it's up six or seven times. We have so screwed up the world's economies with these liberal uh, governors. And most people have been so indoctrinated in progressive thought and, and liberalism. They can't even ascertain what has happened, but we've been screwed folks. Mm -hmm. And, um, And we've got no one to blame but ourselves, but that's nonetheless where we found ourselves. And that's one of the advantages of being Torah observant, is you gain a perspective and you instantly know, genuinely understand what man is doing is wrong. And we were right about all of these things and have been for a very long time now. But more than that, we're right about the Torah. We're right about Yahweh. We're right about the covenant. We're right about his invitations to meet. We're right about God despising religion and disliking politics. And we're right about when he's going to return and that he's calling his people home. So let's pick up uh, on this one, which is this call out Babylon. Yes, uh, this time next week. And it's always a pleasure. May God bless. Pleasure to you. And Shabbat Shalom.
1: Shabbat Shalom. Shalom. Bye, J.B. Have a good day.